Father, we are so grateful for your love, uh, for our undeserving position in front of you, and yet you pour it out and pour it out. And God, I'm hearing it again and again and again this morning, and I pray that it would seep down deep into our souls, this truth that you always go first, that you loved before we ever could return that love to you. And I thank you, God, for the chance we have to come together this morning and reflect on that love. And I pray that we would leave here more convinced than ever that we are your sons and daughters and we belong to you and your kingdom. We love you, God. And we're so grateful for this time together. In your name, amen. You may be seated. My name is Johnny. I am the campus pastor here at the bridge. And uh, this morning we are beginning our post-Easter series. This is the most fraught decision that a pastor makes all year long. What will you preach after Easter? So our post-Easter series is called Hashtag Blessed. Hashtag blessed. And we'll be in this from May to June. And uh, I'm excited to dig into Matthew 5 with you all as we consider what it means to be blessed in the kingdom of God. What it means to be blessed as one of the citizens of God's kingdom. So uh, for the last few series we've had, we have uh, had daily reading plans on a bookmark. We changed things up a little bit this time around. Maybe when you came in this morning, you got a bookmark. On the back is just the Beatitudes. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, it looks like. And uh, at the bottom, it gives you instructions to download the app. Maybe you already have the church app, uh, but if you don't, this gives you pretty simple instructions for how to get it. And there are daily readings now actually within the app. So uh, the reality is most of us are doing uh, our Bible readings on our phones these days. And so I would encourage you to download the app and you can follow along. There's a daily reading every day that kind of goes along with our series. Uh, And so I would encourage you, if that's something that has been life-giving to you in the past, uh, a series we've had, try this out. We've, We've entered, you guys, we've entered the 21st century. We're doing digital things here. It's amazing. Uh, Throughout the series, we'll be doing uh, question and answer videos. This is something we started during Lent, and I'd like to keep on going with. Uh, So if you have questions at any point during the sermon about something I've said, about the passage, uh, about what you think the weather will be next week, don't send that one. Um, But any other questions, I would be glad to receive. These all go into an inbox, um, and then on Tuesday or Wednesday, I will make a Facebook video that kind of talks through the different questions that were raised during the sermon. So really, any questions you have during the sermon, feel free to just text to that number and it'll be on all the slides. This is, uh, it's really fun for me to see your questions, so uh, I appreciate your engagement. So like I said, this morning we are beginning a brand new series in the book of Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 5, and we are calling it Hashtag Blessed. And the hashtag was very important to me, you guys. It was very important to me uh, because hashtags are like their own language in the internet age. We are, we are living in a time where emojis and hashtags are dictating the way that we communicate and the way that we live. And so I said, we got to call this thing hashtag blessed. If you go on Instagram right now, you will find 100 million plus posts that have hashtag blessed in their caption. This is a common thing. Anything that happens in your life that is good, you can just say hashtag blessed. So 
Uh, if you don't know what a hashtag is, I was thinking about how to explain this without sounding like, you know, uh, a weird tech bro or something, trying to explain things to, uh, you know, a, a conference. So I'm just going to let Jimmy Fallon do it instead, okay? So if you don't understand hashtags, here's Jimmy and Justin Timberlake, and I think they're going to help us understand today. Hey, Justin, what's up? Not much, Jimmy. Hashtag chilling. What's up with you? Just been busy working. Hashtag rise and grind. Hashtag is it Friday yet? <laughs> <laughs> hey, check it out. I brought you some cookies. Hashtag homemade. Hashtag oatmeal raisin. Hashtag show me the cookie. <laughs> Sweet. Hashtag don't mind if I don't. Pretty good. Hashtag getting my cookie on. Hashtag I'm the real cookie monster. Hashtag no, 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 no. Delicious, right? Hashtag I did it all for the cookie. Hashtag Hashtag classic. By the way, did you catch last week's episode of Duck Dynasty? Hashtag quack quack. Nah, lately I've mostly been watching Netflix. Hashtag Orange is the New Black. Oh, nice. I've been watching a lot of Barney the Dinosaur. Hashtag Purple is the New Black. Hashtag I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Hashtag I'm 38. Hashtag Dinosaurs. Hashtag How Do They Go Extinct? Hashtag Meteor. Hashtag Ice Age. Hashtag Speaking of Ice Age. I just watched Ice Age on demand the other day. Hashtag Funny. Hashtag Ray Romano. Hashtag Debra! Debra! So hashtags are a part of our life, okay? Like it or not. Maybe after that you don't like it. I don't know. But hashtags are just they're part of our cultural conversation. They're part of our life. And like I said, if you go on Instagram and look at hashtag blessed or hashtag blessed life or hashtag feeling blessed, you'll see millions and millions and millions of people posting photos and they are saying, I in this moment that I am taking a picture of am feeling very blessed. And if you start scrolling through those pictures, you will see a lot of well-dressed and beautiful people doing fun things in beautiful places. They are feeling hashtag blessed while on vacation. They are feeling hashtag blessed while eating delicious dinners. They are hashtag blessed by the new raise they just got at work or their new house that they got or their new car or whatever it is. These are good things. They are excited for the things that are happening in their lives. Hashtag blessed has become shorthand in our culture for good things are happening to and for me. Hashtag blessed is shorthand for good things are happening to and for me. And I'm not against good things happening to and for me. I also like when I get, you know, uh, something nice happening, when I can go on vacation or eat a delicious meal. I'm not against these good things. But we should be wary of the connotation that being blessed is always connected to material health, wealth, and prosperity. We should be wary of the connection in our minds that being blessed looks like new cars, new jobs, financial windfalls. Because as we'll see throughout this series, Jesus' idea of blessing stands in stark contrast to Instagram ideas of blessing. Jesus offered a different vision than what we often see in our culture for what it means to be truly blessed, to re- live a rich and happy and joy-filled life. And so, this is the series, hashtag blessed, and I'm excited that you guys are coming on this ride with me. So each week, we're going to read through all of uh, the first 12 chapters of Matthew 5, And then we're just going to focus on one of these specific verses. So we're going to read them all, and then we're just going to specifically focus on one. And the uh, sermons, uh, I'm sorry, the scripture will all be up on the screen for you to follow along. This is Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, some crowds have come to listen to Jesus, as often happened to him. 
When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So every time my wife and I uh, travel, we're feeling hashtag blessed and take a vacation. Uh, Every time we travel, I immediately look at the town that we're going to and see if they have an Ikea. I want to know if they have an Ikea. I am a sucker for flat pack furniture, for weird Swedish words, and for those delicious meatballs. I don't know what's in them, but they're delightful. I love the experience of Ikea. If you've ever been to an Ikea, you know it's like you just get sucked right into the vortex and you're just wandering through and everything you see looks amazing and and so affordable. And when you get to the end, it doesn't feel as affordable. But in the middle, it's very affordable and it's just this whole situation. I love it. I love the finished product of seeing Ikea furniture. I like seeing all my hard work paid off after I've got this thing home and put it all together. I love Ikea. But I would be lying to you If I said that I enjoyed the crazy Ikea instructions, I do not enjoy these Ikea instructions. The thing about Ikea instructions is that there are no words. I think this is because Ikea is in like 40 different countries and they don't want to print 40 different versions. So they print one and it's just all pictures. So there's no words except for the weird, you know, this is called the Billy shelf, but some are called like the horse to horse or, you know, shelf or whatever. Uh, That's like the only word on the whole thing. And it's just pictures. Put this part here, put that part there. Use the screws that are two inches long, not one and five-eighths long, or else your whole thing is going to fall apart on you as soon as you sit down on it. The pictures are familiar. You, you understand what you're looking at, but they're also strange. They're very strange. You, you think you understand what's going on, but the pictures could really be a lot of different things. There's like six parts that all look exactly the same in any IKEA furniture, and so you wonder to yourself, is this the right piece? We uh, bought a bunk bed at Ikea, and uh, everybody online said, this is the hardest piece of Ikea furniture they've ever put together. And I thought, amateurs. So I start putting together this bunk bed, and I don't heed the warnings of the internet, and I get halfway through and realize I have built it upside down. This bunk bed is upside down, and my kids are going to die on this bunk bed. Uh, And I had to take the whole thing back apart. I had to take it all apart and start over. It can be odd and a little frustrating, but you have to commit yourself to these strange instructions if you want to get the really cool furniture at the end. Matthew 5 is uh, the beginning of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is full of what really seems like strange instructions. We know the words that Jesus is saying. They sound familiar, but the order of them doesn't seem to make any sense. 
we understand the general idea that he's getting at and through the Beatitudes and also the rest of it, but the way that he's formulating his ideas seems very odd and strange to us. The teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are counter-cultural. They challenge our assumptions of how the world works, and they cause us to think differently about the way that we are going to order our lives now that we recognize our citizenship in heaven. So the first 12 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 5 are the focus of this series, and they are referred to commonly as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. I've already said this a few times. But the Beatitudes are an outline of what it looks like to be blessed in the kingdom of God. And like everything else about the kingdom of God, the Beatitudes offer a very upside-down picture of reality. Like everything else that we find throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes paint a picture of the kingdom of God that is somewhat strange to us, that is hard for us to understand when we first look at it. When we see, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, those words don't seem to make much sense. And so Jesus, rather than saying that a hashtag blessed life is one filled with health, wealth, and prosperity, instead asserts that true blessing belongs to the poor in spirit. So I spent a lot of time wrestling this week with that phrase, poor in spirit. The Beatitudes appear in uh, the book of Matthew and also in the book of Luke, and they are a little bit different in those two places. In the book of Matthew, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the book of Luke, it just says, blessed are the poor. Now, there's different reasons that that could be. It could be that this is a speech that Jesus gave frequently. So sometimes when Jesus said it, he emphasized one part of what poverty meant, and sometimes when he said it, he emphasized something else. Or it could be that Luke and Matthew heard the same thing but interpreted it differently, and when they went to record what happened, they wrote it down a little bit differently. It could be, it could be those. It could be a different option than that completely. But no matter which option it is, it's clear that poverty is supposed to include financial and material poverty, but also extends to include other forms of poverty. Relational poverty, spiritual poverty, emotional poverty. It's all on the table here. This is about material and, and health and, and the, the, the things that we can touch and see, but it's also about the internal poverty that so many of us carry around all the time. And this morning... It would be easy and maybe more comfortable for me to just jump right over the top of the material side of poverty and go right to the spiritual side. In my experience uh, in the church, we want to spiritualize the teachings of Jesus. It's much more comfortable for us when we spiritualize the teachings of Jesus because then it doesn't necessarily have to impact the way that we live our lives every single day. It's something we can keep in our hearts. It's something that we can just work on inside of ourselves. But when we see the teachings of Jesus as material, it begins to impact the ways that we move around in the world, the ways that we exist in the world. It impacts our everyday felt lives. And so as much as I'd love to just jump right into the spiritual stuff, I think it's important for us to really consider our ideas about how we think blessings work and what we think about material blessings and God. So there's a uh, scholar named Kate Bowler, 
And she studies church culture. Specifically, she studies the prosperity movement. Maybe you've heard of the prosperity doctrine or the prosperity gospel. And there are preachers uh, throughout the country, throughout all over the world, and they, they preach this idea that Jesus wants us to prosper. And, and usually they're talking about financial, material prosperity. I would agree that Jesus wants us to prosper. Jesus said he came to give us life and life abundant. That sounds very prosperous to me. But the prosperity gospel tends to focus specifically on financial and material prosperity. And and it's an idea that has seeped in, even if you don't consider yourself part of the prosperity movement, it's an idea that has seeped into all of American culture. Not even just Christian culture, but all of American culture. It's part of what undergirds this idea that we are hashtag blessed when things are going really well for us. So Kate Bowler studies this prosperity movement, and she wrote a book that is literally called Blessed. That's the name of the book, and it's, her, it's all of her research on this topic. And there was some statistics, as I read her book, there was some statistics that really jumped out to me. Because these are statistics about all American Christians now, not just about those who agree with the prosperity doctrine. 31% of American Christians believe that God increases the riches of those who give. In other words, if you put in, you will get out. If, if you give to God and the work of God, then you will increase in your riches. You will increase in your uh, wealth. 31%. And 43% of American Christian respondents agreed that the faithful receive health and wealth. 43% of American Christians, when asked, said, yes, of course, those who are faithful, those who really follow God, receive in their lives material health and wealth. And I don't want to be offensive today, but I think that's a little bit hashtag crazy. I think it's a little bit crazy. And here's the, here's the problem. The trouble with the idea that financial and material success are related to faithfulness to God is that it sanctifies all wealth and material health and prosperity. Even wealth and health and prosperity that has come through means that are not of God, maybe they are means that are explicitly anti-God, but if we say that a sign of God's faithfulness is health, wealth, and prosperity, then all health, wealth, and prosperity seems to get a sheen of God's approval. And now, even health, wealth, and prosperity that have been driven from sources that are not honoring to God, they are sanctified and they're given a sheen of God's blessing and God's, uh, 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 you know, um, pro- uh, I lost all my words. They give a sheen of God's blessing when maybe it doesn't belong there at all. So throughout the Gospels, Jesus goes out of his way to point to the faith of those in poverty. The poor widow, the beggar at the rich man's gates, those who are naked and hungry and cold. And the purpose of these teachings was not to condemn those who hold wealth, but to create a counterbalance to the false narrative that those who are poor are, are poor because they lack faith or because they are lazy or undeserving. Again, throughout Scripture, there are, there's evidence of, of rich, wealthy, faithful people and so Jesus does not come, and this is often a character of Jesus, that he comes and condemns all wealth. Jesus is cautious about wealth. 
But when he gives these stories about the, the poor people among uh, those who were living around him, and he says these are the faithful, he's doing so because the prevailing idea, then as it is now, is that if you are poor, if you lack health, if you lack resources, if you are under-resourced in some way, it's because you lack faithfulness, it's because you are undeserving, it's because you are lazy. And Jesus says that's just not the case. There was a stigma in Jesus' day, and it endures into our era. So quickly we can dismiss those in poverty as lazy or unmotivated. If they would just get their lives together and pull themselves up by the bootstraps, they could be successful. They could be blessed. And Jesus says to that, those who are poor are already blessed. They are blessed because they understand dependence. They know their limitations. They feel acutely their need for mercy and grace because without mercy and grace, they could not go on. Blessed are those who know that they need God because they can receive freely from God in a way that those of us who are self-sufficient cannot understand. So when I was a kid, um, we didn't, we didn't have very much money when I was a kid. My dad was a, a pastor in very small churches, and we just didn't have a lot of money. But my dad always had a job, and we always had what we needed. There was food on the table. Uh, we had a warm house. We had beds, clothes, you know. And so we didn't think much of it. I didn't think much of how much money we had or didn't have because we had the things that we needed. But when I was in high school, there was a few years uh, where my dad was not pastoring a church. He had been at a church, and, uh, and then he, that job ended, and he didn't find another one. And so he had been working for an insurance company. And so he wasn't working in church. He was just working for an insurance company instead. And, uh, and then he got laid off. He got laid off, and for a year, he struggled to find a job. And so he worked odd jobs. He picked up uh, work where he could. He did some maintenance work for different, like, apartment landlords around the, the town that we lived in. He did what he could. Um, but it was a long year of trying to make ends meet. It was a long year of pretty difficult times for our family. And that year, uh, with a, a household of six people, so my mom, my dad, myself, two brothers and a sister, six people in the household, um, our family income was $16,000 for, for that year with six people in the household. And in a situation like that, there is always a sense that things could come apart. In a situation like that, there's always a sense that you are one like bad thing happening away from the wheels coming off completely, and, and you just don't know what's going to happen next. In a situation like that, you feel dependent on God in a very real way. And you are acutely aware of the way God is involved in holding things together in your life. The blessing is not in abundance, but in the ability to see God at work in the mundane details of everyday living. The blessing is not that everything is taken care of and you don't have any troubles and you don't have any worries and you have the financial stability that you need. The blessing is in the fact that you see how God is moving on your behalf and holding things together every single day. You might not feel very hashtag blessed, but every day is a type of gracious blessing in its own way. 
Material poverty highlights those places. Those places of dependence. Those places where you know acutely that you need God to move on your behalf. Otherwise, you don't know what the next day is going to bring. Material poverty highlights those places. But it is not the only type of poverty that helps us understand what true blessing is all about. Sometimes you reach the edge of yourself emotionally. The waves of life have been washing over you and washing over you and eroding away at the sands of your consciousness and they've been washing and eroding and washing and eroding and emotionally you find yourself kind of at the end. You've put on a brave face through it all but you have run out of emotional capital. You are emotionally poor. Maybe you've run yourself ragged spiritually. You've worked so hard for God that you've run out of energy. You've volunteered and read your Bible. You've attended Bible study and you even listen to the sermon podcast when you miss a Sunday. Good for you. Good for you. It's on the app. But you've been doing it all out of your own strength, trying to prove something to your God and yourself, and you are dry. All that spiritual energy poured out, but you haven't been to the true source in a long time. You are spiritually poor. Maybe you've never opened yourself up to someone else and shared your true self with them. You keep things bottled up and pushed aside. You keep everyone around you at arm's length. You don't let anyone in. You have friends, but they don't really know the real you. And now you're coming apart and you have no place to go for help. You don't have anyone to confide in and it's eating you up inside. You are relationally poor. None of these things feel like a blessing. And that's because the pain is not the blessing. The pain is what leads you to the blessing. The man who is material, materially poor knows that he is in a dire situation. The pain of his poverty propels him toward the mercy of God and opens his eyes to the ways that God prepares and cares for him, provides and cares. The pain of poverty presses us into the blessing of God. And that means that the longer we deny our poverty, the longer we sit and say, no, I am not, no, I don't need, no, I don't lack, I have what I, I, have, what I have, and I have what I need, and the longer we deny the fact that we are truly impoverished, the longer it takes us to receive the blessings of God. The pain of poverty presses us to the blessing of God. And so when we deny our poverty, we are actually preventing ourselves from receiving his blessings. If I could change the verse this morning that we read, I would write it like this. Blessed are those who know they are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who don't deny their poverty but embrace it. 
Blessed are those who don't fight the pain, but give it to Jesus. Blessed are those who shout from the mountains when they are poor and broken and in need of God's mercy because they are the people that own the kingdom of God. Those people who have the awareness to say, I cannot do this on my own. I don't have enough within me. I do not have what it requires to make it through. I need God and I'm throwing myself on his mercy. Those people own the kingdom of heaven. That's who Jesus says it belongs to. Those who are aware enough to recognize their poverty. In Revelation chapter 3, this is going to be a bad paraphrase, guys, but in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, there's an angel talking to a church. Go read Revelation, it makes sense. There's an angel talking to a church. And he says to them, you say that you have have all the money that you need and you have everything that you need and you, don't, and you don't have any lack of anything. He says, but the truth about you is that you are poor, you are destitute, and you don't have enough to get by. You're living in denial, he says. And living in denial prevents us from receiving the good blessings that God has for us. This is a countercultural message today and one that I desperately need to hear because I want to believe that I can handle it that I have it covered I want to believe that I don't need anyone or anything to get by that I have within myself that which I need to do what needs to be done and yet here is Jesus calling us to admit our poverty to lean into the fact that we have nothing without him, and to recognize our dependence on the love and mercy and grace of God. It's a hard message for us to hear. Here's the thing. We don't have to wait until we're at the end of our rope. We don't have to wait until the pain of our poverty becomes clear to us and those around us. We don't have to wait till we get to that place where the pain becomes so acute that then we can say, God, I need you. We don't have to get to that place. Jesus is calling us even today to see the ways that we need him. To see the ways that he is ready to bless us and keep us. And the question for us today is, will we see that? Will we accept it? Because I promise you that if we can, we have nothing to lose. But Jesus says we have the kingdom of God to gain. Let's pray together. God, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be poor in spirit or poor in bank account. The harsh reality this morning, God, is that I already am. My desire level does not impact the truth of the situation. None of us has what we need to do what needs to be done within ourselves, God. We all need you. We are all dependent on you for the grace of today, the grace of tomorrow, the grace that is our lives. 
God, I pray that we would stop running from that fact. God, that we could be blessed because we know and recognize and admit that we are poor. God, we love you. And we are so thankful that you bless us and keep us, that your face shines upon us. I pray that we would live and bask in the glory of that shining and the glory of that blessing. Even if it means we have to admit that we are poor. We love you, God. We pray all these things in your name.